Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. It is good to see you. Welcome to Life Community. If uh, you're new around here, we just want to extend a special welcome to you. My name's Tim. I have the privilege of pastoring here. And uh, before we dive into the topic here today, I just want to give you a real quick update. Uh, construction continues to move towards completion, so we're getting really close. We have all of our inspections except for two uh, finals, and so we're working. We're getting real close. Uh, the countertops went in this week. The windows went in both here and back in the kids' classes this week, and we're excited to wrap this facility up. Now, uh, we ran into one thing with some final inspections that's going to push us back by a week or two, uh, hopefully, you know, Lord willing. If you've been part of construction projects, you know how these things go, right? It, it always seems to take longer than you uh, anticipate. And so we are going to push back our grand reopening event, and we'll keep you updated on that when uh, we reschedule. We may push that back a ways and do more of a soft opening and then schedule that a little bit further out. And ladies, we're going to open those bathrooms <clears throat> you can poke your head in and look. They're looking real good, and they're all done. We just need to wrap up our finals, and uh, then we can open them up and let you all use them, and you won't have to share bathrooms with you know little boys anymore, which I'm sure you'll be grateful for. Men, we don't really care, right? It's like, ah, uh, bathrooms, well, never mind. Don't, we won't go there. Yeah, I'll just filter. See, I'm growing as a pastor. Filter. All right, well, let's uh, go ahead and dive into what we're talking about today. The last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Mirage, and we've been looking at some spiritual ideas that can wind up hurting people. Some spiritual ideas, though, you know, a lot of them, there's real truth in them, um, but when applied in an incorrect way, it can wind up hurting people. Things like following Jesus will bring you success, or if you have enough faith, it'll fix anything. Uh, we were looking at happy talk and ideas that can be particularly hurtful for people who are in painful seasons. And last week, we looked at, at valley seasons and how valley seasons play a role in our lives. And basically, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how things don't always go how we want them to go, right? And a lot of times, we don't have the explanation for that. And a lot of times, we don't understand why that is. And some of those answers, we may never get until eternity. And so we've kind of depressed you the last couple weeks. And so like we looked at the Faith Hall of Fame, right? And if you're a church person, that's this passage in Hebrews um, that talks about all these amazing heroes of the faith. And, and then there's this little section of them at the end that is a bunch of people who were commended for their faith, but their faith got them tortured and killed and put in prison and brought them like financial devastation and ruin. And so kind of depressing, right? But here's what I want to do. I want to kind of balance the other side of that. Because the whole first section of that chapter is all about people who went through hardships, but God came through in amazing ways for them and by faith saw some amazing things accomplished in their life. And so I kind of want to look at the other side of the coin today. And so here's, uh, to get us started, I just want to throw a quote up there, which is one of my favorite quotes. And I hope you'll take it to heart. I hope you'll maybe even memorize it. Because I think I, I've seen it so true over the years in the lives of people who have stepped out and followed things that God's calling them to do. It's by a guy named Hudson Taylor. He is um, probably the most influential missionary of the 19th century. And he said this, I have found there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible. Then it is difficult. Then it is done. 
Just to wake you up, let's try doing this all together here today. Ready? Uh, I have found there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it is impossible, then it is difficult, and then it is done. And I've seen this principle um, be so true in people's lives, in my own life, as I've walked through things that God has called me to over the years. And so today what we're going to look at is an incredibly rich account from the book of Mark. And we're going we're gonna to come around, we're going to see how, how this quote uh, ties into seven different steps that God often uses when it comes to walking by faith into what he's calling you to. And Rick Warren, the famous author of The Purpose Driven Life, he writes about six of these things, and I added a seventh. Not that I'm trying to one-up Rick Warren, okay? No, no, no. He's, you know. But I thought these things were really profound, and I've seen a seventh that is also true. So you're like, oh no, a seven-point seven point sermon. The Broncos are playing at 11. Doesn't he know that, right? Don't worry. We're going to move fairly quickly through this. And uh, guys, I'm going to notice if you're just glued to your Bible apps on your phone too, okay? <laughs> you can't slide that by me. I'm just telling you. And so what we're going to look at is these, these seven different stages or steps that when God calls you to something in your life, whether it's in your family life, and your business life, um, whether it's something in a vocational ministry aspect, when God calls you to something and he plants it on your heart, he places a dream on your heart to get to Seven different phases that you normally go through. And here's the thing. If you don't understand these different phases, you will be prone to losing heart in the middle of some of these situations when the reality is God's just saying, hang on. You'll be prone to giving up way sooner than than you ever should. And so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2. I'm going to kind of put some like dot, dot, dots in here and kind of move slowly through the actual scripture. And so if you follow along in your Bibles, you're going to be tempted to read ahead, which is fine, uh, especially if you grew up in church. You're going to know where the story's going already. But I, I, I want, uh, if you want to follow along, you can do that. Otherwise, it's just up on the screen behind me. But what you really might want to do today is keep a note and a, and a piece of paper, and there's always a note section on the back of our bulletins, which are right there by each of the uh, back doors. Or I know most of you do this on your smartphones now, right, where you you make lists of things and take notes. And so um, I would encourage you to do that because I think one of these things might really strike you and might be exactly where you're at in your life today. And so just to give you a little bit of context as we dive into Mark chapter 2. It's, it's a life of Jesus and his disciples that we're diving into very early in Jesus' ministry. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he's drawing huge crowds because he's healing people left and right. And word gets out all around the surrounding area that, that he is just healing people of all kinds of diseases. In fact, he healed somebody of a disease that it was rumored in, in the society that only the Messiah could heal someone of. And so his fame is just incredible. People are coming from all over. Scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders are coming. They would travel from th- for three days in this account to just to check him out and then grill him with questions and kind of try to figure out, well, th- could this guy actually be the Messiah? And during this time, there's these five guys. One of them has a terrible medical condition um, that's, that's, that's bringing a lot of pain to his life. And the other guys are his four friends. And his four friends hear about Jesus. And they hear about all these amazing miracles that Jesus is performing. 
And, and as they do that, hope begins to rise up in their heart for their friend right here. And that's where we join the story here in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, after Jesus has been out doing miracles and healing all around the region of Galilee, it says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard he'd come home. This is Jesus' home base uh, for much of his ministry in the Galilee. And scholars tell us this is at the home of Simon Peter. Uh, you see that a couple verses earlier in, in Mark chapter 1, where he's at the home of Simon Peter. And it appears like from, from the text that that was sort of his home base as he did his ministry in the region of Galilee, which was most of uh, the three years that he ministered here on the planet before he went back up to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, So he is... Uh, he is there. He comes home to Capernaum, most likely to the, to the home of Simon Peter. And here's what happens next. It says they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Now, just think about this. If you're Peter's wife, you invite Jesus and like the other 11 dudes that are hanging out with him. That's a crowd, right? And before you know it, they're having like a church service in, in the living room, and in the, in the day, you know, the, the, uh, the houses would be like, usually a middle-class house would be like one sort of large open room um, that stretched back a little ways, and they're just packed into this home. Just every, you know, you can't move. So we've been, you know, working with fire department. This would not have passed fire department, okay? This wouldn't have worked. Um, but they're all packed in there, and I can just see Peter's over there going, well, you know, when I... When I uh, said, okay, I'll follow you, Jesus, I wasn't necessarily anticipating this. And his wife's over in the corner, you know, trying to like do her thing and shooting him dirty looks. Like, you brought all these people into my house? You know, that's the scene that's going on right here. And so right in the middle of this whole scene, these guys, they start thinking. They hear Jesus is back in town. Jesus is back in town. And see, the first stage when God is calling you to do something that's going to require some faith in your life. The first stage is God gives you a dream, a dream, an idea or a goal or an ambition in life. And, and here's the truth is every great accomplishment of God, whether it's something in your family, whether it's something in your business life or something, you know, on a vocational ministry scope, every, everything begins with a dream in somebody's heart. It begins with somebody noticing something that, that's wrong and needs to be made right. And God places dreams on our hearts, things on our hearts that he wants us to get to. And, and whatever step of faith he's calling you to take, it's going to start with a dream. It's going to start with a dream. And here's, here's the thing. Just I, I got to remind you of this. We talk about this all the time. But when God places a dream on your heart, if you are a follower of Jesus, your life is called to be lived for the furtherance of God's kingdom or his agenda, right? And so here's what we believe, um, that every believer is called into full-time ministry. What I mean by that is that whatever you do as a job or a vocation, you should view it as, as being for the service of God and others, doesn't matter, you know, whether you are a plumber or a teacher or a doctor or a stay-at-home mom. Whatever you're doing, it is for the service of God and others and for the furtherance of his kingdom. And that needs to be our framework if you're a follower of Jesus. That's what he said, seek first his kingdom. 
And that is that in every area of your life, as you look at your life as a whole, your primary motivator is, God, what is your agenda in this? What are you trying to accomplish in this? What do you want to do in my family? What do you want to do in my workplace? What do you want to do in my business in order to allow this to to further your kingdom? That's the primary motivator. And one of my soapboxes around here is actually the term full-time ministry. One of our values is we're an equipping church. And what that means is we believe that every follower of Jesus is called to live their lives as a full-time minister. Now, some of them, you know, do it vocationally, like, like I do, a pastor or some missionaries, that that's all they do, is do, you know, teach the Bible and study and, and tell people about Jesus. Others of you, you're actually called to do something different in the nine to five, right? Actually, it's more like 24-7, right? Mom's in the room. You're actually called to do something different in there, and, but it's not just about making a living. It's not just about having a comfortable retirement. It's not just about seeing your kids succeed. It's all about the furtherance of his kingdom. And so whatever that dream is that God plants on your heart, if you are a a committed follower of Jesus, it's going to have something to do with his kingdom being advanced in this world. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? He teaches us to pray that. It's going to have something to do with serving other people and seeing his agenda advanced, okay? And so that's the dream aspect, and God is going to, whenever God launches something in your heart, it begins as a dream, something he is wanting to motivate in your heart. And so that's exactly what happens with these friends. They hear that Jesus is there and there's this, there's this meeting and they decide to head down. And they, hear, and they hear there's this huge meeting and Jesus is in town, he's back home. And so at that point, they have something to do. And that brings us to our second D of the day. And that is that the second phase or step that that God uses in your heart when he's trying to birth something in your heart, when he's trying to accomplish something in the world through you, is decision. See, a dream is pretty much worthless until you decide to do something about it. Some of you, you've experienced that. You had a dream. And if you look back, you would say, you know, three decades ago, I had this dream and I really feel like that was something um, that God called me to do. But for whatever reason, I I just didn't get to it. And some of you have regrets because of that. Others of you, you know this because you, you delayed for a long time getting to the thing that God called you to get to. And finally, you, you made the decision you're actually going to do it. And the second step is a decision. This is that moment of truth, right? Where you decide, I'm going to invest my time, my money, my energy, my reputation. I'm going to let go of the security. If you're Peter, this is the time you go, I'm going to get, actually walk, get, step out of the boat, right? Okay, Lord, here, here I come. There has to be a time where you make a decision and say, yes. And so right in the middle of this scene, where they're gathered in such large numbers, there's no room left. Everybody's packed in. You know, there's not even room outside the door. They're just gathered all around. These guys make this decision, and they load up their buddy on a stretcher, and the four of them pick him up, and they carry him down to the house where they know that Jesus is at, and they've made a decision. And they just know in the midst of all this, we got to get him to Jesus. We have a dream. We want to see this guy's life restored, and we got to get him to Jesus. 
We gotta get him to Jesus. And so at that point, Mark 2, 3, it says, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, dot, dot, dot. Don't read ahead. Yeah, you Sunday school people, you know, I know where this is going, right? Don't get too cocky here, you know. All right. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. Imagine this. So they've made a decision. They believe God gave him a dream. Got to get this guy to Jesus. They, they, they commit to it. They load this guy up on a stretcher and they bring him down to the place where they can actually get him to Jesus. And then what happens? They show up and there's just no way. They show up and they can't get close to the door even. They show up and there's something in the way between them and Jesus. There's something in the way of them and this dream being accomplished. And see, this is, we're stepping out in faith. Almost always and very predictably. And I wish it wasn't this way. I gotta be honest because I've been through this. Going through some stressful, like, kind of on trying to, trying to get this project done. I'm going through this, you know. But there's, but this is something God uses over and over and over to grow our faith and our trust in him. And that is in the middle, after you've made the decision, after you've gone for it, for it there's always, it seems like, the way God works is he always allows delays, difficulties, and dead ends to arise. Delays, difficulties, and dead ends. And so many times there's a delay, there's, there's a time lapse between your your dream and when it actually becomes a reality. You know, when, we were, when God first uh, spoke to us about planning a church and um, confirmed it in all kinds of weird, interesting ways, and we knew, God, this is really your prompting and your leading. This is really you speaking. Wow. You, really, you, you know, it was five years before we actually stepped out and planted a church. I believe that was his timing. And the reason was because he had a lot of growing in me to do to get me to that point. That there were things he needed to accomplish in me before he wanted to accomplish anything like that through me. He had to grow me. And some of you, God's given you this incredible dream that, where you want to see a business thing or it's a, a family thing or God's calling you into a vocational ministry thing and you know it. And you're frustrated because you're in this stage where you, where you know this is here and yet you're going, is this ever ever going to happen. In Habakkuk, God says this. He says, these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue by a single day. That's encouraging, isn't it? But when you're in the middle of the delay, boy, it's difficult. It's difficult. Jesus talks about something in John. He says, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it, it does not bear fruit. And almost always, in so many times when God is planting a dream in your heart, there's a period of time where it, it feels like the dream died. Where you're like, well, I, I don't really know what that was all about. And some of you are in the place right now where you need to hear the dream God planted in your heart was not meant to die, but it's just lying dormant so that it will bear fruit. There's delays. There's difficulties. There's difficulties. Now you're on the path. Things are in the works. 
you've committed, you've launched, you've gone for it, you've made the change in your family, and then all of a sudden all the difficulties start popping up, right? Very often that comes in the forms of critics or circumstances where things aren't going the way you want to. You're, you're running into all these issues and all this stress and all this stuff from every different angle coming at you. You're like, God, I thought this was like your thing, and now I'm running into all this stuff. Remember what we talked about last week with the valley season? And it's just part of the process God often uses. It's things he allows. Because he's trying to show you this thing. You, you got to do it by my strength, by my power. That it's not all up to you, Right? Peter says this, in 1 Peter, he says, at the present, you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. That is no accident. It happens to prove your faith, which is infinitely more valuable than gold. And God actually uses trials. In fact, Jesus promised trials. In this life, you will have trials. And yet, when they happen, and trust me, I know that, I mean, I'm preaching to myself here today too, right? Big time. When they happen, you're like, Really? God, what are you doing, right? He's like, I'm growing you. I'm teaching you you can trust me. I'm teaching you you have to rely on me. That unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. The psalmist said. Difficulties arise. The third thing is dead ends. And many times, as you step through a thing that God's calling you to do in faith, um, your situation goes from just difficult, this is hard, this isn't working, I don't know what's going on, to running into a season where this just seems impossible. I don't think there's any way this is going to happen. Sometimes, you know, you find yourself backed into a corner, you reach the end of your rope, and you've just done everything you can do. Your situation looks hopeless. And here's the good thing is, is oftentimes God allows you to get there to bring you to the place where he's about ready to do a miracle in your life, a place where you have to trust God. As we were um, preparing to go from just a Saturday night service in this little event center to launching two, you know, a Sunday service, and we had all our advertising done, I, I tell this often, but you know, we've, we've found out we might not have a place to meet anymore. And so I, I literally, I, I looked at every option I could find out here on the Redlands. Somebody said, did you think about that big building? I'm like, yeah, I thought about it, but I know how much they wanted for the little space, right? There's no way, it's impossible. And so I, I was talk, calling the school. I met with this little tiny church down the road that you know, had like 10 people, see so if maybe we could use their building. All these different things. Going, God, you know, what, what's gonna happen? I gotta be honest, I, I, I had enough faith, just enough faith to go, well, Let's pray about this to our small group. It's ridiculous. Let's pray about it, but who knows what God will do. A few months later, we're moving into this big space. And sometimes God uses seeming dead ends to show you that it's, it's all about what he can accomplish. It's not all by your strength, by your power, by your might. Paul says this. Talk about a guy with great faith who'd seen God do great things. He says, talking about one of the situations he went through. At that time, we were completely overwhelmed. In fact, we told ourselves this was the end. Yet we now believe 
that we had this sense of impending disaster so we might learn to trust, not in ourselves, but in God who can raise the dead. That brings your circumstances into a whole new light, right? I'm not going to get out of this alive, God, but I trust you can raise people from the dead. And so back to Mark. These guys show up. They're at this, they, they show up and they're, it's, it's an impossible situation. Delays, difficulties, dead ends. So some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Friends, they're there. They have all this hope. They show up. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, Jesus sees this. Now, picture this. Because, you know, Peter's over here. His wife's over here. They're already packed and crowded in. It's the Middle East. Everybody's stinky, right? They don't have deodorant. Yeah, ladies, I mean, picture the scene, right? It's, it's <clears throat> Peter's wife's already a little bit ticked off, you know. She didn't volunteer her living room. Ladies, you know about these situations, right? Or maybe it's the opposite in your house, you know? Like, you invited who? Oh, how many people over to my house? Um, and so in the middle of this, Jesus is up there. He's teaching. Everybody's quiet and fanning themselves because it's, it's hot in the house. And then all of a sudden, outside, these guys are looking at this, this whole scene, and they're just looking around and um, trying to figure out, how do we get this guy to Jesus? How do we get him to Jesus? And then there's always one of these in every faithful group, the guy that says, let's just do something crazy. And this guy goes to his friends, we're, we're going to go through the roof. And they're like, what? Yeah, through the roof. And he convinces them. They're like, okay. And so they haul this guy up. And inside, Jesus is teaching. And all of a sudden, they hear this on the, on the roof, which would have been like a, you know, probably um, poles or posts with, with mud brick kind of things on the top because they would often use the roofs as, as a kind of a courtyard. And so he starts digging into this with pickaxes or whatever they can find. Clank, clank, you know. And I, I don't know what's going on, but I'm guessing in the room, it goes silent. And everybody's just standing there staring up as you would be too as, you know, the, the dirt and the mud and the plaster starts falling down. And before you know it, there's a little hole and then the hole starts getting bigger and bigger and then next thing, you see these four heads peering down, and then everybody in, and, and Peter's wife's over in the corner just fuming, right? She's just like, what's going on here? Peter, get these people out of my house. And in the middle of this, then the stretcher starts coming down. And the, this guy lands right in front of Jesus. And throughout this whole thing, I think Jesus just has this giant grin on his face. And he sees this incredible, incredible faith. And Mark's details in this account um, teach us some really intriguing things about faith. That faith is really bold and, and seemingly it's indifferent to social consequences. Right? I mean, de-roofing someone's house is not socially acceptable, is it? But what it shows is these guys' absolute intense compulsion. They got to get to Jesus. They got to get to Jesus. 
One commentator says this, people in prayer often feel that to come crashing into the presence of the Lord with their needs is somehow presumptuous. But apparently nothing pleases this Lord as much as being trusted to be good. Isn't that great? And they rip through the roof and lower this guy because they believe not only Jesus can do it, but Jesus is good and he's going to want to do it. Or something interesting about this too. Um, nowhere in any of the gospel accounts do we get any indication that the dude on the stretcher, the paralyzed guy, has any faith himself. No indication. Jesus didn't look at him and said he saw his faith. No. This is like third-party faith. They had enough faith for their friend to get him into the presence of Jesus. And that's a good thing to note. That some of you, it's going to be the fact that you believe God wants to do a work in one of your coworkers, or God wants to do a work in one of your kids, or God wants to do a work. And, and you're going to try real hard to get him to the place where God can speak into their heart and their life. And that's your faith, but God responds to that as well. And so this man's friends deal with delayed difficulties, dead ends, and finally in this amazing act of faith and surrender, they break through the roof, they put the man in front of Jesus, and then they've done all they can do, and now they just stand back and watch, just waiting for him to do what they know in their hearts he's going to do. Back to Mark 2. So it says in Mark 2, 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, wait for it, Everybody's waiting. You can hear a pin drop in the room. He bends down. He has a smile on his face. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And up top, you see four heads just like looking at each other. Like, What did he just say? What? I think he said your sins are forgiven. And they're kind of like, Okay. I, we have a system for that, you know. I mean, there's the temple and sacrifices. You, you could go, you know, you could take this guy. That wasn't exactly what we were looking for here. And all of a sudden, there's a little, like, murmur over in the corner of the room from the religious leaders. And these guys are going, we, we lowered him down there to get healed. You know, sin's forgiven. That, that's nice, Jesus and all, but that's not exactly what we were shooting for here. Have you ever had a situation in your life where you just wanted God to do this and he does this instead? And you're like, okay, that was nice, but what, what? what's this about, right? That's what these guys are feeling, which brings us to our sixth D. When God calls you to step out in something that's going to take great faith, oftentimes he brings you through a detour, a detour. And some of you guys have experienced this. This is very common in Scripture. Um, one of the most well-known examples is Joseph. He has this incredible dream. He has lots of dreams, but one of his dreams is him, his brothers all bowing down to him. He had all these brothers. And then he doesn't have the um, sense not to blab it to his brothers. He ends up getting sold into slavery. Talk about a detour, a 20-some-year detour. Sold into slavery. Then he like, does good. And then before you know it, he gets falsely accused, thrown in prison, And he sits there for years. He sits there for years. And in the end, we know the story ends well because there's a famine. He he has a dream. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt and is able to store up all this grain. And then 
exactly what he dreamed, you know, 20-some years later, winds up happening. His brothers show up, they bow before him, and he has this realization like, oh, God, that's what you've been doing all along in this situation. I had no idea. And God uses them to rescue his family and go on and actually rescue the nation, what would become the nation of Israel, which would bring us the Messiah and our redemption here 2,000 years later. And so detours are very common. Joseph said to his brothers, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here to preserve before you to preserve life. God had a plan in the middle of this. Some of you, you're in a detour, something that feels completely random and on the like left field, right? Like, God, I thought we were going this direction and now we're like dealing with this over here. What's that all about? This just doesn't, this isn't, you know, where I anticipated being in this season of my life. And you're like, I believe I've followed you every step of the way as you've led me. I believe I've sought you, I've been praying, you know. But this just feels like a detour. And it's during those detours that you gotta not give up on what God's placed on your heart, but keep holding it before him with open hands going, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why we're going this direction, but we're gonna hold this with open hands and trust that I, I believe you placed this in my heart and I'm gonna keep working towards it in whatever way I can, but right now we're focusing over here. Lord, can you show me what's going on here? Sometimes he does. Many times he doesn't. Many times he doesn't give us the answer of what's going on over here right away. But one of the most important things you can, you can ask through this is, Lord, who do you want me to impact? Because anytime God brings us down the road, it, it's again for the service of others and for the furtherment of his kingdom. And so even though it's a detour on the route of getting you towards the thing that, that God's placed on your heart to get to, the question you need to be asking is, God, maybe you just have me on this path because there's a who that needs to be impacted. Maybe you have me in this job because there's a coworker and I am his only connection point at this point to Jesus. Maybe it's not all about me. Maybe you have a plan and a purpose. What do you want to accomplish in this situation? Who do you want me to impact in this situation? How do you want to use this detour for your glory? So in the situation in Mark here, the four guys, they're staring at each other, looking at each other going, okay, what? What's going on? And see, and it throws everybody for a loop because they're just expecting Jesus to heal him. That would have been the most direct route, right? But Jesus goes down this detour, son, your sins are forgiven. And they're going, all right, that's cool. We're hoping for a little bit more. See, and it's not surprising because Je- that Jesus connects forgiveness with healing because paralysis spiritually, paralysis in your life is so often connected to unforgiveness or not receiving the Father's forgiveness. So it's not su- surprising at all that Jesus says your sins are forgiven, but that's not the primary reason they're going down this detour. There's an even bigger reason. And in verse six, it says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
They're, they're thinking this in their hearts. Maybe they're murmuring a little bit, you know. And Jesus, because he's Jesus, he knows it. And I love it when Jesus does this, because here's, here's what Jesus is doing. Here's one of the big detours Jesus is doing. He does this over and over and over again in the Gospels. He's claiming to do something that only God can do. He's claiming to do something that only God can do. Because in ancient Judaism, you could forgive a sin committed against yourself, but you, but you couldn't forgive a sin committed against someone else. Right? I mean, that's just common sense, isn't it? You trip me in the, in the school playground, I can forgive you. You trip Fred over there, Fred has to forgive you. You see, there's things, offenses that, that are done before God that only God can forgive. Our sins. Plenty of sins. Like David says, before you alone, Lord, have I sinned. Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there's a debt to God that none of us can pay on our own and none of us can pay for somebody else. Only Jesus can pay for that. And in this phrase, Jesus is saying, basically, he's claiming, and these guys know exactly what's going on here. He's claiming to be God. And this just, they start grumbling, saying he's a blasphemer. He's a blasphemer. And so many times in the Gospels, Jesus makes this claim. That's what led to C.S. Lewis, one of the most famous scholars of the last century, um, to coin this phrase. As he, as he came to faith from us being a skeptic, he came to the realization that you just couldn't say Jesus was just a good moral teacher. Jesus' own words and actions didn't allow that. He said, Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And so, you know, if you're here, you need to wrestle with Jesus' own claims that he makes throughout the scripture. And this is exactly the detour Jesus wanted to take these guys down. In verse 8, it says, At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves. And he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up, take up your mat, and walk. All of a sudden, these guys are scratching their heads like, I don't know, which is easier, you know? That's a hard question. They're not going to answer Jesus because Jesus, you know, traps them all the time if they do that. And so they're just like going here. And four dudes on the, up on the ledge look in and they're like, will you get on with it already? Now they're off on some weird theological argument. That's not why we broke through the roof. And verse 10 says this, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Which brings us to the seventh D, and that is deliverance deliverance, where God shows up and works in a miraculous way and brings about what only he can do. Things fall in place. See, God loves to take a crucifixion and turn it into a resurrection. He loves to take brokenness and turn it into wholeness. He loves to make beauty out of ashes. 
Those are things that he does. And we know things don't always go the way and we don't always have all the answers in life and faith doesn't always fix everything, right? But these are seven steps that God often uses to bring deliverance into your situation. Seven things that God will bring you through. Just like Hudson Taylor said, in this famous quote, I have found there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it's impossible, then it's difficult, then it's done. And do you find yourself in one of these places today? Maybe, maybe you're wrestling with you know, a dream in your heart that you believe that is God's laying this on your heart you know, for, for, for the benefit of his kingdom, to serve your family or your community, your church. God's laying something on your heart. It's a little bit intimidating to you. Maybe for some of you, you realize my, my heart's actually been completely self-centered for some time, and I need God to give me a dream that's about him and about serving others. But a dream, a God-sized dream, maybe you need to ask God for a dream that's about him this morning. Are you stuck on uh, making the decision? You know what God's led you to do, but you just haven't said yes yet. You're paralyzed right now in fear, maybe in unforgiveness, and it's holding you back. Maybe you need to embrace God's forgiveness for the first time. That, that salvation is a free gift from him. That it's offered to you, and, and, and you have to just embrace what he's done for you when he died and rose again. The decision to follow Jesus with your life. Maybe it's serving. Maybe it is serving in the church. So we open all these new kids' classrooms. God's been tugging at your heart, and that's a real need the church has. And maybe that's an area to get involved in. Others of you, you you're, you've been on the path for some time, and you, you're caught in delay or difficulty, or you're right up bumping up against what seems like a dead end. Or you're in a detour. And you need to have faith. You need to keep walking. You need to keep trusting that God's going to work it out. You need to allow, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Bring that, all that anxiety you're feeling before him. All that fear that's, that's just crept up in you. And give it back to him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to wait for your deliverance. I'm going to wait for you to move in my situation. Would you stand? And don't miss this. The paralytics' friends had no idea that their one step of surrendered action, hey, we got to get this guy to Jesus, would ripple down into history. 2,000 years later, he'd be inspiring us. These guys would be inspiring us to trust God with our lives to walk through with faith. And you have no idea what might hang in the balance of just saying yes to God, of surrendering to him, of allowing him to put a dream in your heart and then making the decision to do it and hanging in there even though it's tough. To say yes, Lord. Let's say this quote one more time all together and then we'll close. I have found there are three stages to every great work of God. First, it's impossible. Then it's difficult. Then it's done.
And Father, I just come before you on behalf of my friends. And Lord, give them hope in the place where they're at right now. Give them trust. Give them courage. And give them strength to hold on, Lord. We love you. And we want to bring, cast all our cares on you because we believe you're good and you care for us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.